0: Welcome back to Troubled, a podcast by survivors of institutional abuse for survivors and the general public. Huge reminder, like all the time, broken record up in here. There is a heavy, genuine trigger and content warning on everything that we do. I dig that it's like ironic that we're just talking about childhood memories and things that are happening to children all around the United States today, but uh, it's not appropriate for children, and it's also really triggering for people who've been through it themselves or through something similar. So please always put your mental health first. That's uh what I did when I left this episode with our favorite Janine Miller over at Pieces of Victory on YouTube. She's also the author of the book Pieces of Victory, and she's our friend and sister survivor. I had the pleasure of meeting her on the ground in Missouri for the Right to Rights Rally in November, and we recorded this shortly after we got back from the november trip so this is actually from 2020 the end of 2020 um so if there are some things we're like i thought things had changed since then just a couple things then uh good you're caught up and if not if you're like oh this is so where i'm current then you need to go back to november 2020 and catch up but trigger warning and please enjoy janine and please connect with her and give her all your love and on to us So, Janine, it was amazing meeting you in Missouri, finally. And it's incredible to me that it took this long for us to actually record ourselves together, considering we both have two survivor, you know, platforms.
1: Exactly. I think we've just been so busy with interviewing so many survivors, and we just haven't had the chance to do it. And I'm so excited to finally do it. It's weird because we,
0: you know, cross over and we work on all the actual activism together. So I always forget that people might not know we're like friends and shit. (laughs) Missouri was kind of intense. I don't think we've spoken about it since we got back exactly. But I know that you've been on the front lines and you've been meeting with survivors for over a decade, which is something that I don't know if Amanda brought it up when she was on your show or not, but is really it touches her heart intensely that you were out there fighting for her against the IFB while she was still in the IFB with circle of hope. So Aww. that's, you know, so it was a great circle to watch it come about and then have both of you together and everyone together, like on ground zero for
1: that fight. So thank you. Thank you and for having your platform. I appreciate it too.
0: How was it for you meeting with everyone in Missouri? What did, how did you feel about Missouri?
1: Very empowering. That's for sure. I gave a speech in Missouri about legislation, about James Swift, about what is going on and how this is an epidemic in our country. There are over 100,000 reform schools, wilderness camps for kids, boot camps, conversion therapies, straight programs, and the list goes on, that are abusing our children and nothing is happening. There are so many criminals that are not prosecuted and it needs to stop.
0: I'm glad you brought up your friend, James Swift, uh, for people who don't know who James Swift is yet, definitely go over to pieces of victory on YouTube and check out his interview with Janine. But can you fill us in on James? Cause I think he's been a historical front lines for the battle against conversion therapy or torture, if you will.
1: Sure. He was in a Lester Roloff program called new Bethany. And he was in the home for boys, a conversion therapy and this conversion therapy, all of the conversion therapies, I want to say, are torturing our children, whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual. And this is the worst case of child abuse that I've ever heard of. His conversion therapy program was conveyed on Netflix, season two, third one down, called Cult of Torture on Haunted. And they portrayed what happened to him in this lockdown conversion therapy. He was locked in a cage. He was sodomized. They were beating him, chained him, tortured him almost to death. He suffers from CPTSD till this day. He was shaking on the set. I, I had to put my hands over his to, to calm him down. I was supporting him on the show. So I'm on the show with him. I have a question for you.
0: I'm sure you've heard this question asked, and I don't know if you have an answer. How does sodomizing little gay boys convert them to heterosexuality?
1: I think that this is an excuse for breeding grounds. I feel that they are just using it. They're hypocrites. They're using this as an excuse to have parents bring their kids in to these places. And they're the perfect breeding grounds for pedophiles. And it's... Disgusting. He was sex trafficked. He could hear the preacher that was also sodomizing him, making arrangements with football players, politicians over the phone, and he was tortured. He was tortured in that way. He was tortured with jumper cables and shock treatment. It was just disgusting how they tortured him. And this was when? When was James Swift at New Bethany? He's about the same age as I am. I I, I want to say in the, in the 80s. So James went maybe in the 80s,
0: 90s, but you've spoken with other people who've undergone conversion therapy in the U.S. since then. Have you found or heard that it's changed? Is it all kid gloves and Jesus will love you, just not if you're gay? Or are they still using brutal methods like electroshock therapy, physical corporal punishment, and sodomizing kids to what, like abuse them straight. I don't understand that. That's crazy. I
1: haven't, I haven't interviewed anyone else except for James regarding conversion therapy, but I do know that hate is preached in these IFB programs. And I don't want, I don't want to just say IFB. It could be religious, non-religious, licensed, unlicensed. It doesn't matter. Hate is being taught in these places to hate someone who is gay, to hate someone who is transgender. It's awful, just on a spiritual level on its own. I don't know if anyone has watched Boy Erased. If you watch it, it's just the emotional abuse alone is horrifying. Also, there was some physical, too, beating a child with a Bible. But I feel like it it was underplayed as compared to shock therapy that that goes on. I've heard a testimony from someone that I've done a search on YouTube who had endured shock treatment. If he looked at a, if they showed, they were flipping pictures. So if it was a guy and a guy or a girl and a girl, they would shock him. But if it was a man and a woman, they wouldn't shock him. He said that he was so afraid to even hug his father after that torture
0: Mhm. It's pretty insane. Uh, and the fact that that's, you know, just something that's either considered a one-off so it's not a big deal to most Americans or to have people genuinely think that they're saving kids souls by doing this to them is pretty insane. It's awful insane. and
1: it's not going to change. You're only suppressing any kind of feelings that they have for ha- however long you lock them up for. And when they get out, it's not going to change. They're not going to change who they are. So I feel that as a parent, you just need to love them and not ostracize your child. It's bad enough that society does it. But then to have that in your home, it's, it's why? Because you're following a church or what other people are thinking. I don't know. It's just as a parent, I think you should just love your children. It's just so simple. When James was on Netflix, eight children were saved because of that. Parents were calling him up saying, because of you, I'm, I changed my mind. I'm not sending my child to a conversion therapy.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: It's, it's incredible when
0: that happens. You know, we've seen that happen with circle of hope and agape now as well. And I get that it's just one person, but also it completely affects their families and their, their future families to not have that kind of trauma or to at least have the rescue story of my parents rescued me and right. they believed me, which is so rare. It so rare very you rare. Guys? Absolutely. All of this youth behavior modification is about changing kids to make them, you know, to assimilate them, to conform them coercively. And so all of it is definitely the wrong way to parent. And I think as far as, you know, in the situations where it is up to the parents, I think that makes a huge difference between losing a child to suicide or a drug addiction or something like that, whether or not you can accept them and support them.
1: I agree. It's awful the outcome, you know, when you do ostracize your child from the family. It's, it's just horrifying to know what they're thinking. And I, I guess because we have been In a similar situation where we weren't accepted and then we were tossed into a lockdown facility, my heart goes out to the gay community for being discriminated, for being shunned and tortured.
0: And to, you know, expand and expound upon that, um, our hearts go out to the indigenous communities that were violently assimilated against their wills in all these ways because that is the root of residential youth abuse in any country that you see it in. It's what the whole colonizer jazz and the fact that their parents didn't want this to happen to them and how many indigenous parents wound up in Alcatraz for trying to rescue their children or keep them from being abducted and trafficked and detained and everything that happened to them. So it's just, it's unfathomable. It's awful.
1: And this has been going on for years and I feel like it's just now rising to the surface on the exploitation of what really happened. And Netflix, again, Netflix portrayed that in Annie with an E. So Annie with an E did a very good job of portraying what really went on behind closed doors at these boarding schools.
0: And those things, and to your point of like, it's been going on forever, it doesn't actually change. You know, there are still places in Canada where over 90% of the children in foster care are indigenous, where they use birth alerts. And if, you know, an indigenous young lady has had depression or any mental health issues, she's automatically on a birth alert. Um, We even have foster. Yeah, it's insane. We have residential homes here that are technically troubled teen industry programs that were originally residential homes for the indigenous. They're literally on the outskirts of current reservations, where the population of those places that, again, have been around since the 1800s, those specific Christian facilities, is over 52% indigenous. And Elan had Connecticut funneling uh, children from the tribes there into Elan and other programs. So it it never stopped, just because in the 90s, they were like, oh, it's not okay to, like, deliberately discriminate and abduct and dismantle indigenous families and then rape and torture and convert their youth. They just had to do it in a more subtle way and just group them in with, the, you know, the open invitation that we all have to the so-called tough love, troubled believe teen industry. I that
1: wholeheartedly that that happened behind closed doors because it happened to us and we're American citizens. So if it can happen to us, American citizens, why, you know, why wouldn't it happen to them? Yeah, and they haven't changed their tactics or their players.
0: I know we all like to blame Mitt Romney, but I I was hearing some very unfortunate stuff about the reverend that recently got elected in Georgia owning a program where a 12-year-old was urinated on and jazz like that in the New York Times. So it just continues, you know, these people that come into the inner circle and the inner room of power politically or financially in this country seem to always be involved with human trafficking of children. So, Janine, beyond the whole you having a YouTube talk show, you also wrote your book. I have lots of questions. Firstly though, how the hell did you actually finish your book? Because a million survivors, including myself, have been attempting to write them for like a decade, and then they become this whole like a uh, therapeutic journey that like just takes years upon years how long did it take and how did you ever finish it
1: that's a good question i started probably in 2012 but it only took me a year for the first draft there was just a lot of editors that i went through and i ended up just recently um published self publishing it in may of 2020. But what I did is any chance I had during a break time at work, I would write a chapter or I write in my notes. Anytime I had a recollection of something, it just one association after another, after another, it just took me back. I literally went through Victory Christian Academy again, and what transpired in 1988. So did that
0: when when that would happen and like firstly did you uh open up blocked memories
1: did you remember things that you hadn't as you were going through this I had the memories they were just on my hard drive and I wouldn't bring them up all the time but I could remember as if it was clear as day I think there were certain things that maybe I remembered and then other associations came up that I remembered other things that happened and so on and so forth. I don't think I ever blocked any of it out, if that's what you mean. I feel it was always there on my hard drive. No, I I hear you on that and I I don't want to give
0: too much away, but I do love the actual way that you kind of uh, manifested your thought process and your memories and that experience as a reader, it was actually really cool. I really respect writers that think about the journey for the reader and your hard drive and your memory bank and all that shit. Like also, I will say that sometimes like when it was like Drake heaven, I was like, I can't read this tonight. Like I will save this for tomorrow. (laughs) Like (laughs) I, I found that. And I wonder if you as a writer, so For me as a reader, I actually found that reading the parts of your story that weren't traumatic torture in this authoritarian uh, nightmare were actually harder to read. You know, that innocence, that child, that hope and everything that was actually much harder for me to read, especially because I know what happens to her. And I know you personally. So that was like very emotional.
1: Oh, I felt that at first I was just going to write about Victory Christian Academy. And then I thought to myself, well, what was my life like before? Because I wanted to do the Victory Christian Academy and then the aftermath. But when I thought to myself, okay, what am I going to talk about? The lint on the floor? You know, the drywall? What can I talk about, you know, for eight hours of being locked up in this place? And by the way, girls were locked up in isolation for days, weeks, and months at a time. I was lucky I was only in there for eight hours. And um, I had this idea of, well, let's reflect back on what my life was like before I got locked up. And that's how the love story came into play. And all of it is nonfiction, including the love story.
0: Yeah, the love story. Uh, Are we ready to do this? So um, I didn't realize how much, and this is something just in general that's really not fun, but fun for me when I'm talking to other survivors, is how similar so many of our stories are. And when I say that, I mean like literally down to like moments and things our parents would say. So we've both got a Sicilian New York mom um, and we both had very similar relationships with our mothers and also our first loves uh, feel very similar, right? This first trusting relationship where you're really like, well, maybe people really are good and maybe I can really open up the potential to be injured or wounded by another individual and then to have that stolen away by this sort of like boss villain in this nightmarish fantasy is incredible. And then, but reading about your bread and butter moments, that really broke my fucking heart, dude. <laughs> uh, I, I had those too. And and so uh, I had asked you, and sometimes it feels like a fever dream, but I'd asked you if you were able to love again after that was stolen from you. Like, How was that? Because I got to say, I'm 34, and it's been 17 years, and I have not been able to love again after getting my first love stolen from me and getting thrown in a behavior mod.
1: I think because I'm a helpless romantic, I always have that hope of loving again. I also have experienced, after Victory Christian Academy, a lot of dysfunctional relationships. I can't even begin to tell you how many. (laughs) Same. A lot of dysfunctional. I mean, to the point where I open my heart and vulnerable, saying I love you to someone and then hearing crickets. I've had someone spit in my mouth. I've had very dysfunctional relationships on an emotional level and mainly on an emotional level. So, I it's literally since reading your book, like,
0: so literally, that was this is the turning point for me. And when I realized that a lot of what I've done wrong and the ways I've uh, had really negative, toxic relationship cycles and patterns are related to the trauma of what happened the first time I tried to romantically connect with someone. And it wasn't until reading what happened with you and Drake that I put that into perspective and also changed the wound from, you know, actually missing that specific person to mourning what happened to, like, this inner child version of Miranda. So, like, at what point did you relate, you know, your difficulties with your adult relationships with the trauma of having your first love stolen from you?
1: I think that holding on to the better part of a relationship, which was Drake, gives me hope about a future, about another relationship. And yes, things didn't always go as planned, but I still have that hope and I have something to go by, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I really respect your hope. Like I, I think it's very, I think you're brave. Um, and I think that's the difference between where some of us are at, you know, um, and I just genuinely really respect that about you.
1: I say, hold on to the first love that you had before things went wrong and use that as a guideline. And hopefully that'll manifest into a better relationship for you in the future. You know, it's so weird because I can really
0: work on the wound of it, you know, in therapy and and with myself, but like I was doing mushrooms, you guys, Janine, I'm not saying she condones drugs, but I was doing mushrooms on the solstice and it was flashing image like I, it was flashbacking me into like rooms with people and I was so much more willing to be flashbacked back into the family school you know in front of the table being told that I should get gang raped to death and no one would ever love me oh my than god then I was right then I was comfortable being flashbacked into my ex-boyfriend my first love's bedroom you know where I felt safe and loved and open like I realized that that was more painful for me than the actual pain. Because you lost it. Does that make
1: sense? It makes complete sense. It's because of the mere fact that you lost it and you lost it and you were thrown into a nightmare and it's, I'm trying to convey this as best I can. It's more painful for you to tap into the loss of something that was good than to tap into something that was horrifying. yeah, I don't know if I said that right it I uh, don't know if there's a right way to say it like <laughs> let me let me let me see if I can t- find the choice a better choice of words. It's better for you to tap into trauma of of abuse than it is for you to tap into something that was love and something that was good and something that was functional because it was more painful to you. Yeah. I think
0: it's, I don't know how many other people relate to this. I see you as a very like a light worker, you know, as a good witch. Um, and I feel like I'm more of like a feral bog bitch, you know, like I wad around <laughs> in the mud and the blood oh my of my, God, my ancestors.
1: Are, think that way. You are a good witch. <laughs> I
0: think that's a compliment to me. I mean, literally, you guys, I, I flew across the world on my 33rd birthday for my pilgrimage, um, you know, as a right before I just kill myself like trip last year so that I could crawl into a hole in the ground. And like you know, get some mud from the cave of the morgue. Like I'm dead ass. Like that's who I am, and I'm proud of it. It's fine.
1: <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you know, I think it's um, but... just a tough good witch. That's all.
0: Tough. Good. <laughs> well, yeah. So I mean, it's so. I what is that? It's very interesting to me how some of us are much more comfortable, um, you know, facing shadow. And 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 in a, and it's in a toxic way sometimes. Like I don't have any concept of moderation. I'm obsessive. So I'm totally down to dig down the rabbit hole and talk to my friends about how they were brutally sodomized and all these horrible things. Um, But when someone wants to talk about trust or love or hope, I'm like, Ooh, I can't get too close to that fire. You guys like that hurts. Like, no,
1: (laughs) because you were so vulnerable. You were so vulnerable. You let someone in and it, it completely had a horrible outcome. You were devastated. That's probably why. I, after reading
0: your book, I feel like part of me kind of wants to see, like, this almost uh, 13 Reasons Why Meets High School Musical, like, series, where it's, like, a dark comedy about, like, young love separated and that met in institutional, like, situations. Exactly. that
1: uh, That's how I wanted to portray it. <laughs> I wanted to make it comical there's a lot of dark comedy in there there's a lot of comedy in there i didn't want it to be completely dark and that's when i incorporated the love story into my book
0: it's a good balance i think it's very real and it's very relatable and again i'm i just incredibly inspired that you were able to complete it i think that that's something that's so rare i think that a lot of people just keep this an open book and can't get it out there. But I think that the way you put it out there is really great for I, it is a good for if for survivors listening. This is a really good one. But uh, yours was more trigger warning than the others that I've read. And I think that's because it's so human and it's so relatable. I th- I, I don't know if everybody is going to relate as much on the obvious like, you know, Sicilian New York moms and bread and butter first romances. But uh, it was incredibly like a mirror for me. so like everyone beware you must read it
1: but also <laughs> have pot and puppies nearby <laughs> You are too much you are so funny. Do you feel that you are almost numb to the abuse? Do you feel that I know a lot of these places I know you're interviewing me, but I just have this burning question to ask you. We were All of it, they're very common, these places. I know that you were in a separate type of facility than I was. I was in a reform school. You were in a more of a rehabilitation program or?
0: It was a fancy boarding school in the Catskill Mountains, Janine. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) The upper (laughs) echelon of education. I was
1: boarding school, darling. And most of them teach us not to show emotion. So we are punished Mm -hmm. for crying were punished for reacting to abuse. And I feel that perhaps maybe you're almost like an emotionless droid. Do you feel that? Is that a
0: question? Am I a droid? Um, I think I'm detached from reality and from a personal relationship with reality. I think I'm very much a witness syndrome, imposter syndrome kind of a person and i think that's like from childhood like even before the program so i think i'm more comfortable but also to your point about sensitization you know when we watch like videos of when cornelius frederick was murdered restrained to death in front of all his peers in the cafeteria for throwing a sandwich and they continue to eat lunch and you know just talk amongst themselves or are not even completely paying attention to what's happening that, that, I think, is a huge part of it. Right. I think that watching people get torn apart and ripped apart and things turning on themselves and not reacting or responding and going more into, like, a okay, business mode, right. you know, in chaos kind of a way, um, for sure. And so I, that's definitely why I can totally handle all that. I can watch all the footage. I can watch these children be murdered, but I can't watch Bambi, you know, so – Um, you know, I'm twisted, I'm fucked up, but that's how it comes out. It's
1: almost like we were trained to be soldiers in the middle of a war not react and not react with emotion because we have to keep surviving and we have to keep moving forward.
0: Oh my God. They loved us. They were preparing us for survival. You guys. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Oh, I, You know, it, and it's so funny because I guess on some level, especially with watching the world collapse upon itself as it is now, we were like specially prepped. We are like, remember the Dark Angel series? I know they created monsters and we didn't ask for it and we didn't consent. And I don't, I don't appreciate it. It's not a badge of honor, but we're definitely prepared to deal with some like crazy cataclysmic like authoritarian dictatorship disaster. Right. So I guess we should thank them.
1: I don't know. (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: I don't know. You know, like, aren't we, you guys, we're supposed to be, like, really positive about life. Let's find the positive. So I guess the Argyroses, like, really taught us how to survive, taught us how to manipulate, right, and all this jazz. But you're right. Like, a lot of it's inauthentic. I hadn't realized how much of my personality genuinely, all so many layers are just masking, you know? Right.
1: And are you in therapy right now? You said?
0: Yeah. And we're, uh, I've been in therapy uh, for about a year. That's great. Maybe a little bit longer. That's great. Yeah. But, and we're just about to start EMDR. Chanel's just about to start EMDR. um, And I think Laura is as well. So a lot of us are finally about to get into that stage.
1: Uh, I'm sorry. What is EMDR? Eye movement. uh, I don't know. Self hypnosis.
0: Oh my God. That's why it's taken so long for me, like, not to start is so that I could do enough research to make sure it wasn't hypnosis because I'm a hundred percent not down with that jazz. Um, but you, like, with ours, uh, there's like a board with a light on it and you follow the light with your eyes and relive the moment. So the idea is to make sure that the prefrontal cortex remains active by following the light while you experience, um, an emotional flashback so that you can keep the thinking brain online while processing through trauma, wow. if that makes sense. Very so that's the idea. Is to, yeah. 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 But it's very also like, it's, it's a very serious therapy. I've never done it myself. Obviously we've taken some time, but I've heard some incredible horror stories about when it's used unethically or too soon or with clients that really aren't prepared, you know, because my therapist has been incredibly upfront about how it's it's very raw can bring up things. And, you know, I have to have like a plan for after therapy, like a blunt rolled or friends that I'm visiting or whatever the case may be. That's, that's literally my therapy homework this week is to come up with my every week EMDR after EMDR plan. And then my red line, if I'm super triggered plan. So, wow.
1: Well, I'm glad that you're in therapy. That's fantastic. And I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some research on EMDR. It sounds intriguing.
0: It is intriguing. And, you know, to your point of therapy, what's so devastating is that so many of our brothers and sisters and everybody else just don't have access to therapy it's, and that we're losing them.
1: It's so sad. There are so many suicides and the numbers are just growing. And I feel that this movement is really empowering so many of us. And I feel that there's hope because of the fact that we're growing and it's therapy for a lot of survivors just to be around other survivors that are on the same path that are being brave enough to speak and tell their account of what happened behind closed doors. And there's a special bonding that is taking place. Do you feel that because of that, that there'll be less suicides? What are your thoughts?
0: my thoughts on it, and I have more questions than answers. I think that like example with my relationships with Sia and Liz Zionelli with the ICU survivor campaign, you know, women from your generation of advocacy, you having those, uh, that big sister mentor, like I've been through it, you know, for 10 years, I, I get what what the difficulties and the stressors are with the activism and also dealing with the community, that that's really important. And then my relationship with like Amanda Householder from Circle of Hope, without that relationship over the last year, I don't think I would have done any of this. I don't think I would be okay personally, you know, having oh, wow. someone that really gets what we deal with trauma-wise and that I can just be honest with and ugly with sometimes and hysterical with and have that be a safe rela- Learning to have a safe relationship, but also I talk with my therapist about this a lot. My therapist is so sick survivor world of having to go through like erasure poetry from like, uh, gang group chats where I feel triggered or genuinely am, you know, dog piled on or, you know, some whatever interaction or something that happened. She's so sick of hearing about it because the reality is in our community, we're a traumatized community. And not everybody has the same level of healing or mental health support or family or spiritual support as the next person. And we're all at different levels. And we've all been, like we talked about a second ago, programmed as attack dog warriors in this whole get in line, do as we say, or we'll destroy you kind of a thing. And so I think that Survivor Lands, I I haven't talked about a lot of this yet publicly because I've been really trying to find the right ways to talk about it because I know that in the 90s and with Caffity and all those groups at the time and and in the early 2000s rather, I'm sorry, when they were doing such amazing work and getting to Congress and all that, that ultimately the that round of advocacy fell apart because survivors turned on each other. And I think it makes a lot of sense and I have a lot of empathy and understanding for it. But my biggest fear is, I don't want us to invalidate ourselves to the public as some sort of like damaged, you know, psychologically unhinged community. And I also just don't want it to be a dangerous place for our friends because sometimes survivor space isn't safe space. Right.
1: And you just have to learn what is safe and what isn't. And if it's negative for you, then you need to just find someone who's positive. So there's a lot of survivors, and I'll just clarify what you're trying to get at, that are still on brainwashed mode. Mm -hmm. And we were all brainwashed, Mm -hmm. and some have just got off that mode, and some are still in that mode where they don't know any other way, and maybe that's all they were exposed to, or maybe they were brought up in abusive households, and that's all they saw, and they think that this was the best thing that ever happened to them because now they're off drugs. And we were also conditioned that we we would die without this program. So I can see how a lot of survivors are still in that mode. And then when they get a hold of someone who is thinking outside and realizes, no, this is abusive, this is wrong, and I'm going to fight for what's right, they want to protect someone that saved them, so to speak, because in their mind, they say the program saved them. And so there are are survivors out there that will attack other survivors because they're still on the remote control. They're still brainwashed. And even through the process of
0: deprogramming too, because I almost think the most dangerous, unsafe relationship is when the survivor has activated against the industry, but not deprogrammed the way that they communicate with and deal with others. I see a lot of survivors turning on other survivors and censoring their message of their own story or critiquing it or being like, oh, you don't do it that way or or what have you. And firstly, I just want to say it takes an incredible amount of courage, an incredible amount to share our personal stories. And so just respect to everybody doing that. And I don't think people understand what we mean when we say that. It's not that they're just afraid of being judged by their friends, family and the entire outside world. It's also like once you divulge it, especially if it's the first time you've gone public, you know, when you say something dumb or something really honest that you weren't prepared for and you replay it for like three days or three months, this is the same thing. And, you know, we have a lot of people talking about some pretty horrific things that happened to them that they still don't look at as happened to them exactly. You know, they still have some sort of guilt and personal shame. And I really do want everything to be supportive. And I worry for the you know, per this whole like second robust to the public campaign jazz where you've got a lot of baby survivors coming to the table. I worry about them, you know, because sometimes they just get barked at by the wrong person and everybody, most people are neurodivergent or have some sort of mental health, PTSD, CPTSD or worse situation they're dealing with. And so I just really hope everybody keeps that in mind.
1: I can relate to it when I first got out of Victory Christian Academy. I didn't want to have anything to do with any survivors at all for years, for over a decade. And I was afraid of someone mentioning God that was from that place because what they created was a monster from hell and not God. And it it was the preacher that did that. And anyone who was following him would be spitting out the same information I I was terrified of any survivor getting in touch with me and it wasn't until Michelle Erickson I don't know if you know who she is yeah she killed herself she was the only other survivor at Victory Christian Academy the same place I was locked in and she wrote a book called Reform at Victory she killed herself and I connected with her because she was an atheist And she said she felt safe to me because she wasn't going to throw God in my face. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear I deserved it. I didn't want to hear that God, that particular God. (laughs) Does that make sense? And after she killed herself, I was devastated. I was so devastated. And then that's when I reached out. I reached out and the rest is history. And now I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. How many of our stories are like that? So many. So many. I don't know about your program, but we were also told that we weren't allowed to speak to each other after the program. We weren't allowed to connect, to communicate, probably because they didn't want us to band together and discover that we were abused and (laughs) try to try to get them prosecuted.
0: Right. Because when the alumni from my program, the family school got together, they made the family school truth campaign campaign. And uh, John Martin Crawford went to Congress and uh, got him shut down. So yeah, of course, of course, they don't. You know what? though uh, per the safe relationships in Survivorland, most of my safe relationships are outside of my own program, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's almost the same as like when you have a really toxic abusive family, uh, you may find that other survivors of alcoholic parents or other abusive parents, um uh, maybe a better support system than your own siblings. There's just a lot of, you know, programming and personal baggage related to that. I think that I get the most criticism as a whole from the survivor community from family school kids. Oh, wow. um, although, you know, I don't, I have the worst personal interactions with other people, like random people who don't know me at all, of course, but the family school stuff I you know I don't really vibe with most of them I give them I give them their space because remember I'm the least abused right and I don't really have a place to complain compared to the others which I completely agree with
1: so like, but abuse is you abu- know abuse is abuse totally there isn't you know as you know it's not a contest but Yes. Some survivors, I guess, make it into a contest, but it's abuse. Abuse is abuse. Whether you're emotionally abused or spiritually abused, it's still not good. It's not okay. And all stories are significant. All stories need to be told. That's just the bottom line.
0: Yeah. And it's been said a bunch of times on here and in other places from survivors that were sexually assaulted as children. That it's the emotional jazz, the emotional grooming and the emotional mental abuse that is the most difficult for them to deal with. So I don't think it's a comparative game, but, you know, uh, you know, it is what it is, Uh, you know, tread lightly. And I think that if survivors are coming into the survivor community, that connecting, I wish we had more of like a mentorship thing set up, because I think that connecting with people from your generation of survivor advocacy first is a really good idea. I think that was really good for me. I think that if I'd connected with peers of mine who were just joining the front lines at that point, that I don't think I'd still be involved.
1: I absolutely agree with you. Reaching up was one of the best things that I did. And I felt that I felt safe and it was a safe place. But I agree with you. Someone who has more experience, who has been dealing with it for years, has more to bring to the table.
0: I think it's really beneficial if you're going to join a war, if you're not going to go through a boot camp to at least have like a captain as a buddy.
1: Right. I agree. Definitely.
0: What would you recommend for new survivors who are just realizing that it wasn't just them and their program and that there's so much work to be done? How would you suggest they get connected
1: with Survivorland, or what would you suggest they get started on? I would suggest sia-now.org. Again, sia-now.org, and it is a safe haven for survivors to be into that organization. Also, to get some therapy, therapy is definitely key, and to connect with survivors that are positive, that are trying to get places closed down, they're activists, they are compassionate, nurturing, and have your back. I don't think we can beat
0: this without working together I think that we've proven that we can't and that the only way to move forward because like just case in point with circle of hope and everything that went down in Missouri that wasn't just the circle of hope survivors or the agape kids you know like they came on us on our podcast and you I, god how how many circle
1: of hope interviews have you done th- like 10 I think six I think circle of hope okay six. <laughs> no you're good. I think about six and let's go over. Just because these places are closed down, probably due to all the allegations and reputation, they close down. Most aren't even forced to close down, but they feel that they're backed into a corner because of their reputation. They're not prosecuted, which means they can work for somebody else and abuse other kids. They can open up another place and rebrand, which we've seen time and time again. And no one is Prosecuted. FBI was in at the circle of hope, right? Social services. There's been numerous reports on child abuse, and yet no one has been prosecuted. And it's great that they're closed, but justice is not served. And there's no it's more than just that. And I understand Agape is still open. Is that correct?
0: Uh yeah. It's it's
1: still open. Uh, Masters ranch is still open and Wings of Faith is mm -hmm. still open. And no one is doing anything about it. That's why closing Circle
0: of Hope wasn't enough. That's why everybody had to come in, including Janine from across the country. It was, what, 72 hours after we all headed home that the governor announced that the DA was going to take over the investigation of Circle of Hope because we'd finally proved that the Cedar County sheriffs were in on it, were complicit. They're, you know, literally employed by Agape. And then, you know, it was what? Thursday, I think after we got back that we found out that the state was writing new legislation and it's step by step, right? We've got to get the legislation passed and then we're going to have to get the three strikes up against agape to get them shut down. But until then our federal tax dollars are paying for them to take kids out of the kids in cages debacle on the border, dismantling those families. And those kids are at agape. They don't even speak English. Like what's going to happen to them This is horrific. Like that's insane.
1: That is awful. It's a closed circle, and to be tortured like that, no. And nine times out of the out of ten, these kids haven't even committed crimes that are inside these lockdowns. And even if they did, no child deserves to be abused. No child deserves to be abused. And it's it's awful. This is worse than prison. It's worse than juvenile hall. I've done comparisons on Juvenile Hall, and it sounds like Camp Snoopy compared to these lockdown facilities. And it's a billion dollar industry. And let's just talk about the corruption, the corruption in Missouri and Cedar County. That's just Cedar County. What about the corruption across the United States? There are so many so many testimonies of New Bethany, how how they went to the cops and they would bring him back to the facility. How much are yeah. these parents paying to have their kids sent to these places?
0: That whole complicity with the local police is across the board. So It's not just New Bethany. It's not just all these ones in Cedar County. It was my program. It's every program we've ever spoken to kids from. Someone ran to the police and told them what was happening. And every time kids ran, every time kids reported, they were always sent back.
1: Exactly, And it's awful. It's horrifying to know that you can't even trust the authorities. You can't even trust the authorities. You can't go to them when you run away and ask for help. And that scares me.
0: I know I didn't want to laugh over your powerful statement. So I kept it inside. But the reason, but the reason I want to laugh at that is like, we were taught as kids that the authority is dangerous, that the authoritarian everything is dangerous. They, you know, the powers that be are monsters. I guess not everybody's gotten that yet, but yeah, you can't fucking trust them because this is the way it works. You know, that's their goal is to control us.
1: It was almost as if, these kids should have just ran away and not have reported it to the police and dodged the police just to get away from this place. That's torturing our kids.
0: Well, and we see that happening, especially there's been so many runaway group runaways rather during COVID from these programs. But the problem is, is that, I mean, with uh, one of the more recent ones, one of the boys died for the record out of the five that escaped. And then the other ones, they just all get sent to juvie hall And then most of them get tried as adults. And if they broke anything or stole anything or punched anyone to get away, you know, that's assault or grand theft, whatever. And then they go into the prison complex and all that jazz. So there's it just almost feels like there's not a way. I mean, I don't know. Did you see The Last Stop, the film? About Elan, which is on Prime, with that guy that ran away and met a Vietnam vet no. in the woods. So he runs away in the woods of Maine, right? It's like crazy. And he finds this vet who lives in the woods and he teaches him to survive out there. So he stays out there for, I think, two years until he turns oh, 18 wow. so he can legally leave the woods and not get sent back oh. to Elan. And now, as a job, he teaches people wilderness survival. Wow.
1: <laughs> That's incredible.
0: Yeah. So he did it the right way. So unless you guys are willing to run away and hide until you turn 18, don't get caught.
1: It's just, it's sad. And James Swift is trying to open up a shelter for runaways from these homes and have a safe haven. That's what we need. We need a safe haven for these kids. Absolutely.
0: I fully support that. Amanda and a lot of us have always talked about that being the dream eventually both to have transitional home for survivors, but also for runaways or kids that are going to be forced into these programs. There's just not enough of that. We need to understand, even if this was about money, that it would cost us a lot less money to provide safe housing for teenagers than to deal with the complex trauma and the collateral damage coming out of these situations where these kids then become adults with uh, addictions or like issues that affect other people and the community around them for the rest of their lives if they don't get treatment.
1: Exactly. It's awful. It's awful. The aftermath is just awful.
0: Well, it's funny to me that our federal government and our state government is so much more motivated to put money into detaining and institutionalizing kids rather than providing them with genuine therapies and pathways to independence.
1: Do you want to talk about the federal bill, how it was introduced and then reintroduced? Do you see any hope for that at all? I know Gelser had really good ideas. She has a great structure in Oregon. And if we can just follow Senator Gelser, that would be amazing. In other words, you can't just leave the state and take a kid across the state. She really tightened things up. Just everything that you wanted to hear about saving these kids, she's doing in Oregon. That should be the model for across this nation.
0: I'm hopeful. Thank you, you and your fucking hope. Um, <laughs> way to trigger my my Sarah Gelser shit. Like I am the president of the Sarah Gelser fan club so yeah senator gelser like she came on our radar when we were focused on the cornelius frederick murder in michigan because she had been to sequel and obviously if anybody knows about sarah gelser senator sarah gelser please please stalk the fuck out of her on twitter and everywhere um she's really gotten i think she has the best and most robust view of what's going on with sequel nationally as she was dealing with them through oregon and yeah I am uh, super pumped up about everything that they've done. I They've hit everything we needed with background checks and not trafficking kids. And uh, now they're focusing on restraint measures and all that jazz. I honestly really feel like everything that Senator Gelser in Oregon has done is much better than what's currently had been sitting for over a decade uh, with the Adam Schiff bill that was originally the George Miller bill, thanks to the GAO jazz, thanks to survivors like John Martin Crawford and Caffity and all that jazz. So I really don't want to continue to keep the shift bill on life support. I think we should kill it. I think that we should have Congress people that represent the indigenous community sponsor the bill and it should definitely be heavily built on the paradigm of what went down in Oregon and where Oregon's going because they're not done with finishing this up. They do have some more layers of protections for children that they're adding on. And I 100% agree. I think that Sarah Gelser, and again, I would love to see this sponsored and co-sponsored by Indigenous congresspeople. I think that that should be what leads us out of institutionally and residentially abusing children for profit in the U.S.
1: I agree with you wholeheartedly. She is really going the bat for us. She is definitely a mover and a shaker.
0: She is the kind of politician that we were taught to believe they all were when we were little kids growing up in the land of the free, you know, I and agree. if half of them were like her, we, this would be a very different country. And I would love to vote for her for president of the United States someday, very oh, soon.
1: I'm with you on that. I would definitely vote for her for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> I could, I almost wrote her in
0: this year, but I was like, no, I don't want them to know. Like, let's not let's not put a target on her head. She's too good of a person. It's so rare to get that in politics these days. And, you know, for her to risk, there's been a there was a lot of criticism before Cornelius was murdered and sequel really went down, not went down because they haven't. You know, it's there's so many more steps and so much more pressure that needs to be applied to sequel and Bane to get anything accomplished there. But I don't feel like anyone appreciated what she was doing until all of that became. Major national news, and then they were like, Okay, I guess you were on to
1: something. But had they listened to right? her, I mean, God, we could have avoided this. Exactly, exactly. They could have prevented it from happening.
0: Yeah. She literally told CEO of Sequel, Chris Russo, that if they did not change the restraint policy and the way that children were being manhandled at, at Lakeside, that someone was going to die. And within, I forget how many months, but it was in within the year Cornelius Frederick was dead. So, uh, you know, come on, what's up? Why do you think that the um the shift bill has sat for a decade?
1: Do you really want an answer? <laughs>
0: do you do you actually
1: want to answer that? I feel there's so much bureaucracy, and I feel that this country is corrupt. And I hate to be negative, but I feel that. Yes, they had good intentions, and I feel that they were trying to get things done, but because of the checks and balances, it wasn't passed. I heard that it passed in the committee, but it did not pass in the House or the Senate. For some reason, I thought it passed in in the House and stopped in the Senate. I did, too. But then someone told me, no, it passed in the committee, but didn't pass in the House or the Senate. I might be mistaken, but that's just hearsay of what, what I heard. And, and how could it be introduced in 2010? We're in 2021 and that bill has not been passed. We need, this is an emergency. How many survivors does it take for anybody to pay attention? How many deaths, how many suicides, how many murders inside these places? And these people aren't even prosecuted. Really? How how is that possible? How is that possible that nothing has been done? And I hate to say this and I'm not going to say what his name is or who who he is or what position he is. But I was in a meeting with a politician, no names. And prior to that, his staff interviewed me. They were rah, rah, rah about the federal bill. Then when I got to him, he didn't know anything about what I was there for. And then he said, well, I have children, too. Okay, great. Sign the bill. Let's support the federal bill. And you know what he said? What did you do to get in that place? Mm. As if that mattered. It doesn't matter. I could have killed somebody. I could have done something heinous. You don't abuse children, which I didn't, but it doesn't matter. You don't abuse children. End of story. And then I walked out, and that was it. I... I was I was very devastated by that, that he couldn't even help help me, and and then what flew out of his mouth was just so disrespectful. It, this is a billion dollar industry. You connect the dots.
0: Yeah, and since the seventies, the federal money has been involved. I mean, they're not going to give this up unless we pry it from their cold dead hands, you guys. Like this is really uh, part of who America is. Is detaining and uh, dismantling families, and then coercively converting and assimilating behavior modifying radical youth or culturally like connected youth, and so I don't see that stopping until you know we're ready to actually face what that means for our own identity.
1: I feel that we're getting some headway with Missouri, and because that's a Bible Belt state, wouldn't you agree? that they're going to be cracking down and hopefully if a bible bible belt state cracks down hopefully all the other ones will follow suit i mean again i'm being hopeful but we really need to do something about about this these people aren't even prosecuted do you see any hope with the circle of hope i don't know if you are at liberty to say anything do you see the cr- those criminals that were running Circle of Hope being prosecuted or no? What are your thoughts?
0: I think that usually they don't get prosecuted. I think we can look back on all the cases and see that, you know, even if anyone's held accountable, it's some sort of settling out of court situation. But I think that per your point of if the Bible Belt is willing to change its rules with the Christian boarding schools, it'll almost shame other people into doing the same. I think that's what we did when we went to Missouri from across the country, is we shamed the governor into actually taking action with putting the DA and a bunch of other attorneys on the Circle of Hope case. Um, And while I don't necessarily think that means we're going to get justice because i i really haven't seen that very much in u.s history i do think it's probable that boyd householder will become a scapegoat for this entire network of child abuse and instead what i want to see is uh them follow boyd householder back to agape and prosecute everyone that was doing this to children. all the predators he is not the only child rapist that came out of Agape. And he's not not affiliated with Agape. Agape sent their own grandchildren, their own blood children to Circle of Hope, okay? So after he left Agape. So they were all still connected. There were other pedophiles that were at Circle of Hope that then went to Agape. So like all of these people need to go down. It can't just be Boyd. And I think that's what we're looking at. I think if we're going to have any traction at all. They're just really going to try to close it up very quickly and just blame it all on this one guy. Let
1: me just reiterate. I don't care if you were a good, good staff member there for years, if you saw abuse and how could you not, you know, you could not escape seeing abuse for a day. They couldn't hide it for a day. You are accountable. I don't care how good of a person you are. You are accountable. You were supposed to make a report. And if you didn't, you're a criminal.
0: Yeah. I don't care whether you are proactively participating or passively, you know, enabling, uh, you're complicit in child abuse. I agree.
1: So it sounds like a lot of people need to be prosecuted.
0: Absolutely. And especially in these situations with the IFB Lester roll-off programs I think that most people know what's going on. Most people are participating with what's going on and it's, it's culty. Like I think genuinely and within generations of this conditioning, people genuinely have no idea that like, they're not really thinking about it as abuse or that it's wrong because it happened to them as they were growing up. They're doing it
1: to their children
0: and it's just part of the game. It's
1: awful. It's awful.
0: Yeah. That's why I'm so fucking proud of and impressed by the people who come out of it um as staff kids and staff and stand against it so
1: on that note of how positive the missouri rally and protest was do you foresee us doing another protest soon i think that there's actually a couple on the book so preacher boys
0: um eric who goes after the ifb cult as well has something planned in a few months and then also the survivors of Trinity Teen Solutions, I don't know if you met Ari or Molly there. They were there. And Anna, a bunch of those girls were together in Missouri. They have an event up in Montana in a okay. couple months. So I think that we're looking at that. And also I'm talking to Catalina DeVille about she really wants to be really focused on working with the on-the-ground activism in that jazz so i think that we're going to see a lot of more of that you know especially after we come out of the pandemic as well but as far as us like that took a lot out of us that whole missouri organizing all that dealing with all of that logistically and then the intensity of being on the ground with those survivors in those places and everything everyone went through i think that we've all been decompressing since missouri and i am definitely nowhere near ready to like go out and deal with on the ground survivor stuff for the next few months. I think we all need to like really stabilize our own lives before we pour from our cup into the community on the ground again for a while. I
1: agree. They really did make it difficult for us to protest and have a rally. Just having a rally, they were make the bureaucracy they were putting us through. Oh, it was
0: incredible. The whole situation's incredible. And then I I don't know if you, I'm sure you've seen it since, but as we're driving out of Missouri the night after the Agape protest, they release like this 10-page, you know, statement about uh, everything that everybody's saying. Yeah, it was a lot. And I think that just everybody needs a minute. We want to get so much further than just closing down this, you know, small little nest of predators. And in order to make sure that we can do the long game, everybody needs to take care of themselves first. and going into the holidays and with everything that's going on, I think that a lot of people are just dealing like life is so fucking intense right now.
1: (laughs) I agree. It, it did take a lot um, out of us and yes, it is very intense right now with, with COVID-19 and, you know, hopefully we could just keep punching through and spreading the awareness and protesting and supporting these people. Even if we can't make the protest in Montana you know we can support them and show our support. Yeah, I love what they're doing. There's so many different
0: survivor groups. so if you're if anyone's listening, they're a survivor from a specific program, you guys probably have an organized group of survivors going after your program. You should find them. Trinity Teen Solutions, which is the one having the Montana protest. Those girls are in a lawsuit against their program. There's a bunch of other groups that are coming out publicly with their lawsuits pretty soon and then also reminder that the new york child victims act uh, was extended another year so if you were ever sexually assaulted by anyone at any time in new york definitely get on that but i think that's like the main thing is supporting everyone who's doing genuine activism that's like fighting a boss fight is like jump on that and support them because they really we all need each other's support whether you're from that specific program or not it makes all the difference
1: I have a question for you about Statue of Limitations. Do you foresee in the future because of the fact that you know about brainwashing and a lot of these survivors don't come out until years later, maybe 20 years later when they get brave enough because they see another survivor telling their story and they can identify it and then they get brave enough to tell their story and come out with it. Well, now it's too late because of Statue of Limitations. We were so brainwashed to think that we were bad, that no one was going to believe us, that it was our fault, and the list goes on, that we don't, we don't say anything or make a report or do anything. I did make a report to social services when I was 19 years old, but I was so scared about filing a civil lawsuit that I didn't because I was so brainwashed. What about cases like that? What do you think about changing the way statute of limitations are. Do you think we could do that?
0: I think it's abusive to have statute of limitations with trauma survivors. I agree. You know, it's so invalidating and we have come so far per your point about how uh, people process trauma and coming out with their stories. I think if anything, minimally there should be a waiver for someone with a CPTSD or PTSD or trauma diagnosis when coming out against an abuser. I just don't think statute of limitations should exist at all. I'm not sure if we could federally lift those. I think those would be state by state as they are now. You know, some states like Missouri does not have a sexual statute of limitations, but New York did. That's why we needed the New York Child Victims Act. And I've thought about that. It's like, do we have to go state by state and get like redo the New York Child Victims Act everywhere where we have a statute of limitations temporary lift. But I think that doing that in a temporary fashion is, again, like abusive. I think it's just completely disrespectful to trauma survivors. And so we should just completely lift that. If the fear, if the real fear with lifting the statute of limitations for abuse is that they're going to be flooded, 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 with allegations of abuse, then it's about time we deal with that. So let's just deal with that and look at what we're really dealing with. Because if that's your concern, if you're like, oh my gosh, we can't handle, you know, say it's the church or the Boy Scouts or the Christian boarding schools would have thousands of claimants within the first 48 hours if they lifted the statutes, then what that tells me is that we need to lift the statutes. I agree
1: wholeheartedly on that, especially when we have, it's not just one survivor, but many from the same place.
0: When you have dozens of people that went to the same program that were sodomized or punched in the face or whatever the case may be, it proves that that place is abusive. Like this idea that 20 years later, a group of grown adults are going to like come up with these lies just to get back at some mean counselors they had when they were teenagers is insane. And that's not going to happen. And that's not what's happening. Definitely. What does it say about our culture, though, that we put statutes of limitations on things like this?
1: It says it. I feel like it's control. I feel like it's control Mm -hmm. and it's sad. It's it's sad that we can't speak our mind later on down the road. When we get brave enough, I mean, I literally would have had to been in court with my abuser. I did not want to face my abuser. Not only that, but there's a track record of me making a report of child abuse back in the eighties. So if I made a report in the eighties, I obviously was abused. Why can't, why can't I do a civil case right now? You know, or when he was alive, why couldn't we do a, Reopen the criminal case.
0: Right. Because one of your abusers exactly. just recently died.
1: Michael Palmer, I guess I could say it now. He's dead. How did that feel? Um, no emotion. I, I, I don't feel any emotion towards him. I don't know. I just, I, it's sad that he was justice wasn't served. That's how it made me feel. It's sad that justice wasn't served and he didn't pay the price for his crimes.
0: Yeah. The day he died, I, I think I was on the phone with a couple other survivors, um, from your program. And that's how they felt. They, they were emotional. They were, they felt like the opportunity to face him, To name him and to call him up publicly had been stolen from them.
1: I feel like the only time I can mention his name is now that he's dead (laughs) because I was calling him (laughs) a monster for years. And, you know, he's called QC quality control in my book. You know, uh, people have been, survivors have been sued for mentioning names and it's awful. Mm -hmm. So you can't even mention the name of your abuser because you can get sued. But yet these criminals can get away with murder. They can get away with rape. They can get away with abusing someone on an emotional, spiritual level and beating children up and medical neglect. And the list goes on and that's, that's okay. They can slide by, but we can't mention their name. What is that?
0: (laughs) Well, it's it's really fun because per your point, this is all about an abuse of power. Right. And it permeates every level of this. Um, it's just all about compounding this reality where it's like you don't have any autonomy spiritually over your body, anything. And, you know, if you put up a stink right. we'll crush you. It's, it's
1: sad, but you know. I also feel like we are making changes. We are definitely making a dent. And it's disheartening when you when you put yourself out there all the time and these places are still open today and justice isn't served. But I also feel that we are making headway a little bit of headway, but we're making headway. So there's that hope again. My is <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Ew. I can't. I can't do it. Per your fucking
0: hope. What, going into 2021, which may be the last year of the human experiment, who fucking knows at this point, what are your hopes? What do you think is feasible for Survivorland? What do you think, what do you, what, you know, or best case scenario, what if we have this conversation next year? Where do you think we'll be?
1: I think we'll be in the same place as far as justice is concerned, but I'll feel that a lot of people will be aware of it. I don't know. It's just a feeling. And I know that's a little negative, but yeah, maybe I should take that back. Do you want to delete that? <laughs> yeah. No, I love
0: it. I'm glad that my negativity is contagious as fuck. Look at, we, Actually, we're turning you into a gray you know, witch. I love it. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: Because justice is not being served and these people aren't prosecuted and it's very disheartening. But I also do see that there are changes like Senator Gelser is making and Missouri is making so I'm seeing the light, but I'm also seeing the dark. It is what it is. You know, if justice is not served, justice is not served. You know, until I see these people, mm. you know, being prosecuted, yeah, for crimes that th- they've committed. It's it's awful. And agape is still open today. Wings of faith is still open today. It's they're condoning these places and They're saying it's okay to abuse our children. Well, yeah,
0: it's not fucking okay to abuse our children. We have to get to a point where that as a social norm isn't acceptable, you know, where scared straight isn't something funny we watch on reality TV when nothing else is on, you know. um, I really hope that we can do that. I think that your program, I think Pieces of Victory has been intrinsic in this. You know, I, I, I love our podcast. I love the timeout room podcast. I, I love the podcast jazz. But I think that for me, watching you and my friends visually being able to see your faces as you, you know, struggle through putting this out there for the public, I think that that really humanizes what we're dealing with. You know, Aww. thank you because that I, it, this is hard for me. It's hard for all of us to do these. It's triggering. We have to deal with our own shit. But God, you have to look us in the face as we talk about what they right. did to us and you do that to help expose oh. it. And so thank and you thank for you so much shouldering for that
1: podcast as well. I do have one more question. Look, can we talk about COVID-19? Okay. These places are open today. We're in the middle of a COVID-19 crisis. I doubt the staff are wearing masks or the kids and they're still locked up. They should be taken home during this time. What? is going on
0: yeah we've had covid 19 outbreaks like crazy since the beginning we had uh mount mingus lakeside cornelius frederick had covid when he was killed and so did most everybody there
1: frederick cornelius had covid when he was killed that's new to me
0: agape has covid agape announced that they've had their covid outbreak officially all of these places have covid you guys Because also, like, let's, so when we were in Missouri, nobody was wearing their masks. In fact, when we walked into places, even if we weren't wearing ICU survivor masks, Janine had this gorgeous bedazzled, like, you know, Bane princess face shit. They still looked at us like we were crazy for wearing masks like we were some sort of like anti-American conspiracy theorists walking into Missouri and a lot of these programs are in these rural communities that feel the same way that bleed red you know so they they aren't they aren't taking precautions they don't want to test the kids because then they have to announce that they have covid and so it doesn't come out until One of the staff members from the community, you know, it gets out that way that it happened. But
1: yeah, I would even. They're medically neglecting those kids in there, and we know it because they medically neglected us. And during this time of crisis, what do you think is going on right now? This is some scary stuff that's going on behind closed doors. That's why these kids are running
0: away. These kids are literally staging situations where they're breaking out in groups of five or more and running away because they are locked down in a COVID outbreak, surrounded by people who have COVID and they have no contact with the outside world. This must be horrifying for them. Just awful.
1: I don't, I don't understand why the parents don't have any sense to just take them out during this time. Wouldn't you want your child? They don't want them in the first place, Janine. They didn't want them before
0: they, yeah. And, and again, I'm, We've, we've talked, we both talked to parents that thought they were doing the right thing for their kids and bought into the whole equestrian therapeutic music camp bullshit, whatever the case may be. But for, for, I think for most of the parents that send their kids, they really don't want to deal with their
1: teenagers. The majority of them. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And you know how it's been since COVID, like the abuse in these homes has gotten worse And so, you know, putting those kids in that situation isn't good for anybody anyways. But yeah, this has got to be horrifying for the kids. Like this is reading their books about being locked down during the pandemic is going to be like some incredible sci-fi shit, you know, because we already know how crazy it is without.
1: Let me bring this up. How many you're in the newspaper that prisoners were out because of COVID?
0: They're making money off them. Like, as you said,
1: like they don't want to give up that money.
0: This isn't the time to lose business, babe. <laughs> we got to save
1: our economy. Like exactly. you said, this is a multi-billion-dollar industry. Come on, it's awful. But thank you for bringing it into reality, because because that is the reality. It's a billion-dollar industry, and they're not going to give up their money.
0: No, they're not going to. They're not. None of these places are going to close unless we force them to close. And it's and I'm sick of playing whack a mole with them. So we do need to figure out how to put some social, like some genuine standards of care and some human rights protections in place, so that we can all move on and deal with other shit. All right, Janine, what's your, you know, word of wisdom? Your sign off, last, last fucking words to survivors and our allies out
1: there, and where can I have a message for parents? Parents, after hearing all of these accounts that goes on in boarding schools, wilderness camps, boot camps for kids, rehabilitation programs, conversion therapies, why would you take that risk? Even if it was a 1% chance that this could happen to your child, why would you take that risk and send them off to these camps? My suggestion is to get a hold of sia-now.org and ask for alternatives. Also helpforteens.org, which is James Swift. He has alternatives and myself, Com. Again, Com. We have alternatives for you. I have testimony after testimony of what goes on behind closed doors. Really, why would you subject your child to experience something like this? You'll only lose your child.
0: One way or the other. What about to survivors who are just hearing about you for the first time? I'm hoping most of the people that listen to this program already know about your show on YouTube. But if they haven't heard from you, what are your words of
1: wisdom, your <laughs> blessings, if you will, my white way? My message to survivors is don't give up hope. You will, you have a support system, definitely choose your su- support system wisely. Surround yourself with positive. And nurturing friends even if they are far and few between just make sure you have quality not quantity and you don't want to subject yourself to any more abuse so definitely find an organization like sia-now.org or james or myself and we will help you we will help you connect with positive
0: and she means that you guys janine is the white light in a lot of our lives um And that's what I mean by if you're just joining Survivorland and you're just connecting, definitely make sure that you connect with Sia, Janine, James, Catalina, all these people from the generation of advocates and survivors before you who've gone through some of the stages you're about to go through so that you can have some light at the end of the tunnel and light through the darkness support. Because it's a really long road and... We're losing a lot of the people we're walking it with and we just, we don't want to lose anybody else. I agree. There's also one
1: more, uh, Liz Ionelli. She has alternatives too. Amanda Householder. She is a great support system. And then also Miranda with the Trouble Podcast.
0: (laughs) Hey guys, nice to meet you. She's just listing out all of our favorite people so that when Mitt Romney decides like who he's going to target, it's just going to be all of our best friends. Yeah, that's, that's the list guys. All right back to just me but this outro was recorded like five months after this episode so if everything you heard was news hop on back to season one november 2020 and listen from there a couple clarifications and spoilers if that really was news for you somehow but just updates for those of you who are like what i thought stuff happened so stop listening if this would be a spoiler for you and go back sees and if you're like fuck that i'm not gonna do that then uh enjoy so number one i don't know how i derp derped but the governor of missouri appointed the Attorney General, not the DA, to oversee the Circle of Hope case. I couldn't speak about certain things at this time. You know, she's like, I don't know if you're at Liberty. I was not at Liberty. I am now. Uh, It is my pleasure to inform you if this is somehow an update because you're skipping ahead. But the Circle of Hope owners, Boyd Householder and Stephanie Householder, are currently in jail, no bail, with their trial starting soon, with over 120 felonies of child abuse. And again, the links for the actual long form updates to this, which the Kansas City Star has constantly been updating everything that's going down in Missouri. But Agape is also now under the investigation of the attorney general as well. Because, reminder, Cedar County was complicit. The patrol, state patrol, state troopers, whatever, went in and did official investigations and handed both of those over to the attorney general. Also, Casey Starr broke some excellent news from one of the leaks within Agape that Agape was found destroying evidence once it was transferred over to the attorney general. So that is some fun local headlines for you. Uh, Also, you know, it's been a few months, so definitely check out the House and Senate here. In Missouri for HP 557 and 560. As far as federally, the Adam Schiff bill has done absolutely nothing as to be expected. Clarification on the Bain stuff, and I'm not sure if we've actually talked about it in anything we've released on this podcast, definitely stuff we've recorded, but <laughs> I've been editing this episode since December for two reasons. One, This was a really hard time, and I definitely needed to take that break. I tried to edit this episode and get it to you in December. It was supposed to be the first episode for season two, so it would have come out in the beginning of January, except that Miranda is not tech savvy. And originally, and you should, you know, you know, this podcast was literally just on my phone. It still is pretty much just on my phone. We were recording with Anchor, which was, and you can hear it a little bit in this because this is also still recorded with Anchor, where the uh, time-lapse go over each other and since i get it as one compressed track i i have no idea how to fix that if you know how to fix it let me know but also uh per my youtube tutorials which have been amazing um i derped and when editing like a second track also edited the track above it uh which i also did again last night in uh we're in april now <laughs> and again this was recorded in december That was devastating. Um, I had to binge watch some Brendan Fraser movies and I'm back and I'm okay. And I realized thankfully that I just butchered the first 20 minutes of the episode. So I'm going to do this outro and then go fix that up. I also wanted to clarify some updates. Oh, this is ADHD caffeination kicking in if anyone's like what's happening. That's what this is. Agape per its COVID outbreak and um complete and utter lack of use of precautions per social distancing or, you know, uh, P whatever P's. I don't know if ADHD brains, we can't do like letter, letter stuff, but, you know, like masks, PPE. I did it. Personal Protection Emergency. I don't know. I don't know what it stands for. If I knew this would be helpful. But anyways, back to it. They don't do any of that. We have a ton of pictures and jazz from within Agape during COVID. There's none of that jazz. So they are actually, and and again, reminder, publicly admitted outbreak. They have, and their web in uh, Missouri, have received over a million of our federal tax dollars in pandemic, like PPE emergency funds. So Agape, which doesn't answer to the state and has been abusing children for almost thirty years in Missouri. Was chased out of both Washington State and California for abusing children. Uh, they have two active John Does. They have uh, their guy that runs their program now, sodomizes little gay boys in the showers and for other other boys to turn them straight. Um, he does it to straight boys too, because. <laughs> We're kidding. He's not really like exercising the gayness out of them. Someone seriously, please explain this to me. I, I guess it's just some sort of like self-hating jazz they're doing, but it's like really fucking horrific. Anyways, uh they're doing all that and we can't even get CPS with the kids without complicit sheriffs that work there. And and they're getting federal tax money and they're also getting federal tax money. They're signed up and approved to take immigrant children, these literal kids in cages that are being taken from their families if they came with them. And then they're being sent into programs like Agape, where they don't even speak the language and they're being physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually abused for maybe five years or whatnot and then what happens to them when they get out most of the agape guys either go into the military join the staff or become homeless so what's going to happen with them we're pretty horrified by all that also a reminder in a couple weeks it will be the first anniversary of the of the murder of cornelius fredericks a 16 year old foster child murdered on video at lakeside academy in kalamazoo michigan owned by sequel youth and family services which is owned by altamont capital which is formed by bain executives reminder uh we got our traction with circle of hope and with the justice for cornelius case last year utilizing tiktok thanks to my teenage daughter and needing to make sure it wasn't full of pedophiles like i was told which it it is full of pedophiles like i was told anyways back to it uh when we got the NBC article, thank you, Tyler Kincaid, excellent journalist, had to do what he had to do by making that article about TikTok. A week after uh, it was announced that TikTok was being traded in the U.S. And reminder, TikTok is owned by Bain Capital. And at that time, uh, all of our accounts on TikTok became uber-censored. I mean, you can just go look at them for yourselves. Uh We've done videos where we explain it, we tag everybody who was affected, but basically everyone who was top and first in the justice for cornelius campaign which sequel affects bane through altamont um and probably some direct investments that we're not sure of we can't trace right now because like i'm not that person um but anyways all of our accounts went completely censored like talk troubled we're talk troubled on all the socials uh we have twenty two point three thousand followers and our posts currently get between 30 to 100 views like let li- let that sit in prior to this Bane TikTok coup, which was a week after our Amanda householder uses TikTok to get advocacy done with the troubled teen industry, which brings up Cornelius and sequel. Um, you know, our we all of our like we at least got twenty two thousand views on things. Um, that's how we got our job done. Uh, it's okay, we'll get over the TikTok stuff, but. Also, like this is the problem with utilizing social media is like Bain and these people who are invested in the trouble teen industry own everything. And so I hope you all realize that like when they're doing these docuseries and these docuseries get shut down and and these websites get shut down and all of these things happen. People get sued and silenced forever. It's because the money and the power behind it is some pretty huge boss shit. So we appreciate everybody willing to get re-silenced to speak the truth. And if the states and the federal government weren't so afraid of the truth, then there wouldn't be statutes of limitations. That's just point blank. Respect to Senator Sarah Gelser, uh, our Shiro, as well as Representative Kerry Engel and Rudy V in Missouri for writing HB 557 and 560, which we've all done everything we can. And thank you everyone for participating in this advocacy in Missouri. At this point, we're just waiting for the dates for the Senate debate. And uh, stay tuned for that. We will definitely Zoom screen that out as we did the Senate hearing. So thank you guys for everything. Please Write a review and rate our podcast on Apple so other people can find us. Connect with us on all the socials at Talk Troubled. Our website is talktroubled.org. Check the show notes for shit tons of links like Janine's book, James' book, Michelle's book, Sia, uh, the ICU Survivor campaign, and all that jazz. And we appreciate you. United we stand. So may the force be with us all.